go to, which I hope you do, it's church, so you should definitely have your Bibles with you. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read the text here, just this first portion, and then we'll dive into it. First Timothy chapter three, starting in verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word and the power of it, Father. Now I, I express and understand my inability to express and preach and teach any spiritual truth apart from your Holy Spirit directly intervening. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would intervene on our behalf this morning and teach us something out of this text. Help us to be reverent. Help us to understand that we need to be mindful of our futures, that judgment day is on the horizon for all of us, and we need to stay focus. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. So as we continue our study through the book of 1 Timothy, over the last several weeks, we have seen sort of a structure of how the church is to operate. We've seen why God put the church in place the way he's put the church in place. And there's been several things that have gone on. And so we see number one, if that, and I want to encourage you all, we put the note section in um, the bulletins for a reason and I would just encourage you all it is important if you guys take notes taking notes helps us remember things better it is statistically proven that if you take notes it helps you remember truth and helps you remember the things that are being presented and, and I, I listen it's not because I'm preaching it it's because the word of God is more than enough amen and so I would encourage you to take notes on this so as we went through the, or as we've gone through the text here, we've seen in the word, number one, the first thing we saw in the first chapter was sort of the structure of the church, the order and structure, who is to teach, who is to, who is to do what is necessary in the church, and, and why we do these things. And number two, we had beware of false teachers, beware of those who come in and try to teach false doctrines. In fact, Paul is going to reiterate this here in just a few minutes in the text, but he tells us to beware of false teachers who come in and just teach heretical doctrines. Number three, that God's people need to be a people of prayer and those who are willing to pray for one another. That was number three. Number four, we saw in the text a couple weeks ago, the, uh, the office of elder. Who, who is to be an elder who is to be a shepherd who is to be a pastor and we know that from the scriptures they are to be qualified men who lead and teach the church and then number five was the office of deacon and how those work and even though they have different responsibilities and different roles elders and deacons have the same type of um, characteristics that they are supposed to exude as a human being so these are these are vital 
in how the church should operate. These are things, these first five things we've seen through the first three chapters are vital on how the church should operate. And if we're not doing these things, then we are in error and we need to change or repent and change direction. Period. End of story. And we see in verse 14 through 16, Paul tells Timothy sort of why he wants to do this. What's the point? He says, listen, I'm trying to get to you. I want to be there with you. I want to be in there in person. I want to show you these things. Verse 14, he says, I hope to come to you soon. I'm hoping and trying to get to you, Timothy, because I want to relay these spiritual truths to your church in person. There's something about reading a letter. It's one thing to read a letter to somebody, but it's a different thing to get to them in person and say, listen, I'm going to read the letter to you directly. Paul wants to come directly to the church and tell them the first three. Listen, this is what you need to be doing. But if I delay, verse 15, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So we have these instructions in the first three chapters. This is what you're supposed to be doing in the church. This is how the church is supposed to operate. This is the things you're supposed to be doing in the church. How one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So this is not just some sort of a mystic, dead religion of a dead person. This is the living God of the universe teaching this information to us by the power of the Holy Spirit through the writers of these books. It is a pillar and a buttress of truth or a fortress of truth. It is a beacon of absolute truth so paul tells the timothy in other words these three chapters are laying these things out how the church should operate how the people in the church should behave there's there's a reverence there's a reverence to how these things work this week i went to um a, a conference i went to the expository preaching institute with dr steve lawson and i found it interesting there's hundreds of men in this room being taught by Dr. Lawson. And everybody in the room gets a goodie bag. Because in the goodie bag you have books and notebooks and a couple of different you know, informational things about the conference. Steve begins. Steve's on the floor. He's actually not teaching from the, from the podium. He's teaching behind a lectern on the floor. And on the front row there's this guy and he's got his, he's got his bag and he's crinkling the bag going through it. And Steve stops the entire thing and says, Hey! Hey! Are you here for the goodie bag or for to learn about how to preach, sir? And there's, there's, there's a di- we don't do come in to try to make distractions and cause problems in the service. We need to have, how, do, how are you to behave in church? How are you to behave in church and why it is so important? We find out why in verse 16. Verse 16, we find out exactly why it is so important. By common confession or without question, great is the mystery of godliness. That's the first part of this verse. And I did it. I stopped on that and I wanted to do a little bit. I wanted to dig deeper because you read that and you just, our English language falls short when it comes to the reality of what's in the text. And so I wanted to do sort of a phrase. I wanted to pick that phrase apart. Great is the mystery of godliness. The translation in the Greek is yobasia. And it's, e, and it's spelled E-U-S-E-B-E-A. I-A, sorry, which translates directly devotion or dedication or godliness. In Lincoln Duncan's commentary on this verse, he says, the mystery then is the saying 
the saving revelation of God in Christ, which in the reality, it fits perfectly with what follows in the text or that next statement in the text. He who was revealed in the flesh. Who was revealed in the flesh? Christ was revealed in the flesh. Christ was vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world. That's the second half of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So the mystery, the mystery of godliness, the mystery is the saving revelation of, who, of God in Christ Jesus. So in other words, Jesus Christ is God who came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And this truth has been seen or has been vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed throughout the nations, and believed on in the world. So in other words, Jesus is who he said he is. So because he is who he says he is, you'd better have your order and structure in the church correct because there is going to be an account given to Jesus one day. Duncan continues in his commentary and says, the whole of the Christian life is based on the person and the truth of Christ. Specifically, the truth and person of God in Christ, Jesus. Well, that's reiterated in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word, notice if you, if, you go to first, if you go to John chapter 1, verse 14, you're going to see in the text, words matter. And it says, the word became flesh. And if you notice, the, the, the word, word is capitalized. It is capitalized. So the word became flesh. So in other words, he is referring to Jesus in this text. So Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ came and, listen, this is the beauty of what we do here. This is the reason Christianity is absolutely different than anything, any other religion, any other organization, any other group on the planet. Christ came and lived among us. The God we love and serve came and lived amongst us fellow human beings. He came and took on flesh, just like you and I. And he lived a perfect life. He was a perfect man. There's been no other perfect man other than Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he was the perfect man. And he took the punishment, the perfect man took the punishment for sinful man. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, God the Son, on behalf of his creation, so that we would not have to experience God's wrath, but rather we would experience what God imposed. We would get, the, we would get imputed righteousness on our account rather than divine justice. So because of this, we must adhere to God's word. So when we read the things that are in First, first Timothy do, they rub against the culture. The grain of culture rubs against 1 Timothy and it does not like what is in the word of God. Well, of course it doesn't because it is, the world is anti-Christ. It is not pro-Christ. It is anti-Christ. 
And so because Christ did this on our behalf, we must adhere to God's word, God's commands. Listen to me. God's word is infallible. God's word is authoritative. All final authority. God's word is all sufficient. We don't need, listen, we do not need more revelation. You do not need a fresh word. And I know there are, there's a church in this town that likes to teach that we've got fresh words from, from God, fresh revelations from God. That is heresy, damnable heresy, and should be launched out on its ear. God's word is all sufficient. We don't need anything else. God's word is abundantly clear. God's word is immutable or unchangeable. It does not change. And it is is relevant the day that it was penned by the authors inspired by the Holy Spirit back then. It is just as relevant as today. It is immutable. Immutable means unchanging. God's word does not change. And God's, listen to me, God's word is invincible. Nothing will destroy God's word. It will never be defeated by the forces of evil. The world cannot and will not ever defeat God's word. Amen? Like that should cause us the confidence and boldness should grow in our hearts that this word will never be defeated by the enemy. What we hold in our hands is not some type of man-made book. If you look at the Book of Mormon, if you look at the, the book that from Jehovah's Witnesses, that thing has changed and flip-flopped and changed and flip-flopped and changed and flip-flopped. The Book of Islam has changed and flip-flopped and changed and flip-flopped and changed and flip-flopped. This word is the unchanging word of God. It is. It is the perfect word of the triune God of the universe. And to attempt to say that it is anything else other than these things that I've mentioned above is heresy. Absolute and utter heresy. Steve Lawson said, the judgment of God is looming on the horizon for us. And we had better have our affairs in order. And Christ had better be the one on the throne of your heart. And his word better rule your life. Because if his word does not rule your life... There will be a day of reckoning. Period. What I hold here and preach from needs to be taken serious by all of us in the room and especially by me. Because here's the thing. I am held to a higher standard than you. There will be a day when I will have to stand before God and give an account for what I preach. That's the reason I don't Listen, I love you all enough to preach the truth and not be concerned with whether or not you're offended or not. I love you enough and I am, I'm afraid of God more than I'm afraid of you. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need tricks. We don't need man-made doctrines to try to twist out and pull something from the Old Testament and turn it into a full, complete doctrine and twist it up. Listen, I believe the Old Testament and the New Testament. All 66 books, it is one book divided up 66 different times. It is one author, the Holy Spirit, penned by different men throughout the centuries. And it correlates perfectly. And so we do not follow man-made doctrines or twist up Old Testament teachings or texts in order to further an agenda 
That won't do the trick. God's word must be taken seriously, and it's all sufficient. It doesn't need an extra, well, you need something relevant. No, God's word does what it needs to do. It cuts through the bone and marrow and gets to the heart of the matter, which is the heart, and that's the goal, is to transform your heart. Because if God transforms your heart, he will transform your life. And what we've done is we've tried to do this behavior modification in a way that... uh, does not actually bring life transformation. It just brings frustration. It brings frustration. What we need is to have our hearts transformed by the power of God. It needs to be taken seriously. So we get into chapter 4. And we have to remember this. That this was written to Timothy from Paul in the fashion of a spiritual father. So Paul is an older man as a father figure to Timothy, trying to teach him what it looks like to be a pastor, what it looks like to run the church. And so we have here in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, he says, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. The Greek word here is aphistami, which means to abandon or to run away from. So he says here, some will depart from the faith and devote themselves to deceitful spirits. So what they're going to do is not only that, they're going to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So they're going to abandon biblical truth and they're going to follow after demonic teachings. So so he says, listen, you're going to see people that are going to cast aside or abandon biblical doctrine to follow after a demonic teaching, which is wrong. There are so many who claim to follow and know Christ in rooms just like this. And they're following false teachings. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 26 through 27 gives us that reference as well. Jeremiah writes, How long will this continue in the hearts of these prophets who prophesy falsehoods? These prophets of delusions, delusions of their own minds, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. Woo! Like this coming We are not, not, I'm sorry, there's not coming. We're in the day where we've got people who stand behind great sacred desks just like this and stand and say, well, I had a dream. I'll never forget, I watched a guy on TV, the guy from Dukes of Hazzard, the blonde fellow from Dukes of Hazzard. He was giving his testimony of how he became a Christian. He said, I was walking down a hallway. I saw a picture of Jesus, which, as you guys know, that's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. He sees a picture of Jesus and he said, I looked at him and he looked at me and I felt something. What? Uh, So now I'm a Christian. Hogwash. That's not Christianity. That's not how Christianity works. You don't look at a picture of Jesus and he looks back at you and you feel something. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No man, woman, boy or girl will ever be saved apart from the preaching of the word of God. Period. Mark it down. It will not happen. Jeremiah says it. How long are these false teachers going to do these things? They're going to teach this false delusions who intend to make my people forget. There are people in this town who are trying to get God's people to forget who he is by teaching some sort of trash, junk doctrine. 
So Paul says, in other words here, they're delusional in their teachings. They're delusional in their doctrines. And the scripture says that it's demonic at its core. Groups that talk about finding new words, fresh revelations. Whew. Now look at verse 2 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. These people who are doing these things, who are trying to teach and preach things that are contrary to God's word, are literally snake oil salesmen. And how do they get this way? What caused their conscience to be seared and burned off? Because they have rejected the truth of the gospel for so long that they now believe a lie. Because they've added things to the gospel. They said it's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus plus church membership. It's Jesus plus something else. And I'm telling you, those men will give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. It brought to mind a cross-reference in this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, where the writer says this, For this reason, in verse 11, For this reason God sends upon them delusions, deluding or strong delusions, so that they will believe what is false. And if you go the verse above it, in verse 10, because they've rejected the truth. People who reject the truth of God's word, God causes, like this is the most terrifying verse in all of scripture. People who reject the truth of God's word, God will send upon them strong delusions to believe what is a lie. And they will think that what they are believing is an absolute truth and they will stand rock solid firm and say, this is truth. That's dangerous ground to be on. To say that you reject God's word, but I'm going to believe in my own man-made doctrines. God says he sends strong delusions to influence them to believe what is false. This is why Paul tells Timothy, you've got to get a hold of this now. You've got to get a hold of this now. You've got to head this thing off at the pass you're going to have some real problems in your church if you allow these false doctrines to keep creeping into your church. If you allow people to come in and teach these just nonsensical, unbiblical doctrines, you're going to have some major problems in your church. So he says, you've got you've to change this. And then he says, in, starting in verse 3, he starts to unpack what some of those false doctrines are. Verse 3 says, men who forbid marriage. In other words, a redefinition of why, why, why should we not be... Listen, you've got more people that are willing to shack up with their significant other and they reject the idea of marriage. Marriage is a divine institute that was put in, in place by God. And we've got people that now are teaching, well, hey, listen, you don't need to get married. Or they're redefining what marriage is. We live, we're living this. We're seeing this unfold in our eyes right now. The Bible says in this, it says, 
expressly in later times, in the last days, you will see these things take place. What? Men teaching from places like this that marriage between one man and one woman, that's not really the truth. Don't, don't follow this musty old book. Do whatever you want. Do what makes you feel good. If it feels good, it's got to be right, right? No. So he says, you're going to have men who are going to come in and teach that marriage is to be redefined or forbidden. We're seeing this in real time. Verse, keep going in verse 3. Who advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So listen, you want to know why we pray for our food before we eat it? You want to know why you pray for your food? That's not just something, oh, it is why we pray. Right there. Right there. Your food, number one, I'm going to talk about this, but we've got some other things we need to address. But I want, to, I want you guys to see this. The reason we pray for our food is because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. For it is sanctified. Your food is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer if it's received gratefully. So kids, listen. It's time for you to receive the food that your mom makes for you, your dad makes for you, gratefully. I need to, I, listen, I'm repenting. I didn't. My mom would put green beans in front of me. Didn't like that. Didn't like those green beans. Or pea. Man, listen. I'm still not a big pea fan. The green little, the green little peas. I'm still not a fan. But, listen, we've got to change our mind here. That's where, we, okay. Stick to the notes, Caleb. Now, like I said, notice in the text, these things are happening in the later days and last times later times men and women coming into your church and attempting to deceive and distract with time wasting false doctrines and they will attempt to make these doctrines sound plausible oh man i've had so many interactions with these people and it is exhausting these people who want to attempt to come into the church and pass some kind of doctrine out and they end up causing problems and divisions by saying, listen, we can't eat certain types of food. Well, God's word just said you can. So you people that say you can't eat pork, I know that's going to get me in trouble, but I don't care. You're in direct violation of God's word. If you want to not do that, fine. Do it on your own time. But don't come into the church and try to convince everybody else that they're in sin if they eat pork. Hogwash, you're wrong. Period. Period. Oh, it, just, it just causes me, just, I get frustrated when people come in and do this stuff. Especially since I've been studying this, that in the later days, you're going to have people that want to waste your dang time. Oh, that's so frustrating. They end up causing problems and divisions. And they're like, well, we can't celebrate Christmas. You can't eat pork. Well, guess what? Jesus came and redeemed all these things. Guess what? Give me some pork. Why? Because dietary laws were set aside. I'm getting ahead of my notes. Sorry. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11 says, A man is not defiled by what he puts in his mouth, but what comes out of his mouth. R.C. Sproul wrote in his 
um, in a commentary, there is a distinction to distinguish the moral law from the ceremonial law. Because we know that the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in the perfect work of Christ on Calvary. And we know that the dietary laws are set apart. They're set aside. We no longer have to stay connected into the Old Testament ceremonial and dietary laws. That's gone. You don't need to do that anymore. Why? Because Christ came and fulfilled it. The only thing that you're obligated to do from the, from the law standpoint is the moral law. The moral law is what still has consequences in this day. Because what is the purpose of the moral law? Romans chapter 3. The purpose of the moral law is to make you realize and understand you're a sinner and you're in need of a Savior. Period. Ceremonial laws are fulfilled in Christ. And the dietary laws are set aside. They had a historical significance that differs from the moral law of the Old Testament. So I'm just, I'm just tired of, like I've had too many arguments about this stupid thing. I'm putting this to bed right now. Don't come to me later and say, well, let me tell you why you shouldn't eat pork. Shh. No, no, stop. I'm done. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 through 23 says, furthermore... If you have died with Christ to the elemental spirits or principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to these decrees such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, which all refer to the things designed to perish with use? Golly, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of man, why are you submitting yourselves to the commands of men? These are man-made doctrines that had a purpose and a time in this section of the text that has all been fulfilled by the person and work of Christ. And the dietary laws are exhausting. The ceremony, you can't celebrate Christmas. Oh my gosh. Stop. Stop. Self-made, continuing Colossians chapter 2. These are matters which have... The appearance, now listen to this, I love this. These are the, these are the issues. They have an appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and humility to, and serve severe treatment of, the, of your body, but there is no value against fleshly indulgence. So in other words, if you want to celebrate Christmas, go for it. If you want to eat a bacon cheeseburger, go for it. Now, if you have a personal conviction, there, I know that there are those who have personal convictions about this. Then don't do it. No one's going to judge you for it. But what I get angry is when people come into the church and want to try to pass this off. And this is what we got to do. This is what we got to do. This is what we got to do. You got to stop it. You got to stop serving bacon at the church gatherings. No, I'm, I'm going to bacon all the more. I'm going to bacon harder. Just irritates me. If you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. But don't try to come in here and tell us we can't. Because the scripture has freed mankind from this kind of man-made trash. The only law that is to be, to be regarded by Christians is the moral law. Everything else, according to the text, is no longer having, no longer has actual lasting value. All these Old Testament laws are simply going to cause man-made rules and religions and regulations, which are exhausting and bring not freedom, but just
just frustration with people. Christ came to set us free from these burdens. They don't have any value. Paul tells Timothy, these are things that, will, these are things that are going to happen. People are going to attempt to come in and push out these doctrines in your church. And I want to, I want to come to you. Remember in, in the end of there? He says, I want to come to you and tell you these things. But I'm writing you so you can tell these folks to quit it. Quit this stuff. Quit this garbage. I want to, help, I want to come help squash this garbage. But until I do, here's what you got to do. To maintain order in your church because if you don't maintain order you are going to have chaos and listen i loving listen i'm not trying to say not to be loving but I'm, i just i'm at the point where i've had too many people sit at tables with me and want to argue and i'm done that is a time waster from the enemy let's fight about whether or not we should eat or do this what did quit quit in fact, this weekend, it was interesting because Steve Lawson addresses this in at the conference. He said, most of the time you have young, enthusiastic young men who want to come fight this, which historically that has been my, I've never had a woman who wanted to come fight me on dietary laws. Just haven't. Just haven't. I've had guys want to come in. There's, Let's talk about it, Pastor. Let's go. Let's buck. Oh. Steve Lawson said that uh, it, when young men in particular come in and they want to clash swords, this is the words, this is a direct quote, when men, young men want to clash swords over these types of doctrines, they must be never to be given a platform as they are ignorant of actual scriptural hermeneutics. Hermeneutics means the proper interpretation of scripture. They are ignorant of proper scriptural hermeneutics and they are grossly immature, so they must be treated as such. High five you, Mr. Lawson. And this is what happens. When people are not anchored into the word of God, they will wander off into heresies and they will cause the entire church to fall apart. When People abandon biblical truths for false biblical or false human-made narratives. They're going to cause all kinds of problems in the church. And when we get away from the text, it causes us to fall into silly, irreverent, man-made myths that have absolutely no, no power. This is why Scripture must be the one book we are focused on. It's focused on studying, focused on reading, focused on understanding, verse by verse, word by word if necessary. This is why we must have expository preaching to help people understand the whole counsel of God. This is the reason I teach verse by verse. And any other type of preaching, it falls short. When you just cherry pick one verse, this is the reason you've got to read everything in context. You must read the Bible in context. Not just cherry pick some verse to try to further your own agenda or your own plan. We must read the scriptures as a whole. The tail cannot wag the dog. The dog must wag the tail. Amen? So we must be devoted to spending time in, in the word. All right, how can I bring this home? What's the so what? As Steve said, what's the so what? How can you bring this home, pastor? Glad you asked. Verse 6. In conclusion, verse 6. <clears throat> In pointing these things to the brethren, 
you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the word of faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. So in other words, if you're keeping these things before the eyes, if you're keeping the text before the eyes of the brethren in the church, if you're keeping these texts before the members of your church, what's going to happen? You're going to be constantly nourished. You're going to be constantly nourished in the truth of God's word. If you study the entire text and not just some obscure one-off verse in order to splice together a theology, you're going to be healthier as a Christian. And you're going to be more nourished as a follower of Christ. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want to be a spiritually healthy? I don't know anybody that's like, yeah, I don't want to know more about Jesus. I'm good. Unless they're a pagan. I don't know any Christian who says, you know what? That's too much word. I don't need any more Bible. I don't know any real Christian that doesn't want more Bible. Study the word. There is more than enough online. Listen, there, there are more than enough online resources. This is a crazy thing. I woke up. Jamie, what time was that? It was, an, it was a crazy hour. I woke up, just had this in my brain. Like 3 a.m. And I started talking to my wife at 3 a.m. That went well. But then I broke out my, my, my iPad and I started unpacking original languages and started, like, I was doing a theological lesson at 3 a.m. with my wife. That was awesome. But I'm telling you, there's more than enough online resources. Like, I'm using this great study guide that literally splices the words apart. I learned this, I, listen, I learned all this stuff this week, so you're, you're in trouble, okay? We got a lot more to go now. We got so much to do. Like, I'm so excited. Like, I, had, like I, was, I called my wife on the way home from the conference. I was like, I want to preach now. Can we have church tonight? We got to get down there. Let's go, let's go, right? I was excited. So, calm down, Caleb, right? Alan, Alan's telling me to bring it. Land the plane, son. There's more than enough online resources that can be trusted, and there are tried resources that can make your life, your spiritual life, more nourished. I'm telling you, this is where we got to find our peace, brothers and sisters. Next week, we're going to unpack and continue the further study of this and what it looks like to train ourselves in godliness by studying God's word and focusing on what God has for us as his followers. This, I'm telling you, this is going to be good. 